The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. You're invited to follow on your phones or in your Bible so you can follow on the screen. And we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 18 through 31. But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? And it is, there are many parts, but one body. They cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat them with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but, that's parts, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. All our apostles, all our prophets, all our teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And this is the word of God, and Pastor Josh will Deliver this message. Amen. Glorious. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're a good God. You are a God who has a plan for this year. Lord, as we look at 2020 and what you are calling to us as a church, Lord, you already know every valley, you know every mountaintop victory. Lord, we just pray that we're able to get in sync with you. Lord, that moment by moment, we're able to know what the next right thing is. Lord, and in doing that, uh, to be a part of a greater plan you have for this world. Lord, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. So as Tanner had mentioned, we are in a series called 2020 Vision. And we've been looking at what are the values that are going to frame who we are as a church. We started off by saying, first and foremost, we are going to be a Christ-centered church. We talked about how without Christ, it's like a rose that's disconnected from the bush. Yeah, it might look pretty for a little bit, but eventually, because it's not connected to the source of its life, it's going to wither and die. But when we as roses stay connected to the bush, we can flourish and we can grow, and season after season after season, life and beauty is going to happen. And Christ is that source for us. And so it's Christ or bust for this church. Beyond that, though, last week we talked about how we want to be a family-focused church and how when you look at Scripture, when you look at both the Old Testament and the New Testament, families are called to pass on the faith to the next generation. We went through Deuteronomy 6, verse by verse, and how God had taught the people to pass on the story of who their God was and what their God was doing and how we build that into a rhythm. And so the chief disciple makers is not the pastor or the priest or the worship leader or the kidman lady, but in fact, parents, in fact, families. Christ-centered, family-focused. 
And this week we're going to look at we are a equipping and ascending congregation. But before we get there, we got to pop a myth that I grew up with a lot that I actually kind of thought of. It's part of the reason why I became a pastor in the first place. And then as I matured, I realized, oh, this is really dangerous. And the myth is this, that we fall into the trap of thinking we're supposed to hire one person to be the Christian for the congregation, right? Because we send you off, pastor you into school. This is your literal job. Of course you're supposed to be the Christian for us. And so we give money so one guy can be the Christian for the entire church. That is not Jesus. That is BS. That is not the system he set up. In fact, it's the other way around. It's not, hey, this pyramid where one person is the very top and everyone's feeding into him. Scripture is clear. No, the leaders in the church are supposed to pour into the members of the church. And so it's a reverse pyramid. It's me pouring into you so more people can be connected to Christ. So Christ can be in more places. This comes from Ephesians chapter 4. So Christ himself gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers. Why? To be the Christian for the congregation? No. To be the best in the congregation? No. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. You see, the role of pastor, the role of teachers, the role of elders is to pour into you that you might be more like Christ, that you might be more loving and a better reflection of who he is. So when you leave here, it's not just one person going out as the quote-unquote representative, but all of us are leaving as the representative of who God is and what God is doing. And we've distilled that into this phrase at Acts, that we exist, our purpose is to equip and send disciples of Christ who change their world. We have two arms, essentially. One is the equipping side, where when you come to this gathering or community groups or via text messages or emails or over coffee or over beer, you are being equipped. You are being connected deeper to who God is, forgiveness and grace and wisdom and discernment. We are an equipping congregation, and then we are a sending congregation. We're not just equipping you so you know more about God. It's not just a head thing. Like, all right, I know all the right answers to the test questions that God's going to ask me when I get to heaven. That is not how salvation works, and that is not what God is interested in. He is interested in you being sent out to love your neighbor as yourself. And so we partner with Acts of Love and with Baghdad and with Costa Rica and we find ways to uniquely send out our folks, sometimes corporately, via Ascending Sunday or via Christmas offerings, or sometimes individually. How has God uniquely placed you to be sent to your world? I met with the elders yesterday, and one of the changes they asked me to make, this used to say, who change the world? And they're like, you know what, Josh? God isn't asking any of us to be the full change maker of the entire world. That's a pretty big ask, right? To fix every problem in every situation, all the broken you know, nations and politics and hunger and thirst. God is not asking you to fix everything. That, that is not your role. He's God, we're not. He's not even asking our individual church to fix everything. 
But he is saying, whatever world I've called you to, whatever little patch of ground, your circle of friends, your cul-de-sac, your workplace, their world, our world, where we're uniquely sent to, now that is our jurisdiction. That is where God is calling us. And I did like that because it makes it more specific. It gives us more ownership of saying, wherever God sends me, he is uniquely equipping me and sending me to be him in that moment. And that's what 1 Corinthians 12 is all about. And so, like the other weeks, we're going to go verse by verse, talking through what God is trying to get at with this thing that he calls the body of Christ, which is one of the ways that we say church. Paul, 1 Corinthians 12, 18 and following, he says, But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, and he's specifically talking about the body of Christ, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. This is one of those moments where it goes from a plural to a personal. Hear me, Acts Church. Every one of you are uniquely placed by God to be a part of what he is doing here at Acts Church Leander, what he is doing in Leander, what he is doing in North Austin, and whatever world that he's called you to be a part of. And it says that he uniquely put you there just as he wanted you to be. So wherever you're at right now, whatever workplace you're in, God wants you to be in that workplace. Whatever school you're in, whatever classroom you're in, God wants you to be there. Whatever family you're a part of, who you share a bedroom with, who you share a bathroom with, God has uniquely placed you to be a part of that community. That's how he starts this off. But then he describes and he uses the analogy of a regular body of how this all works together. If they, the parts of the body, were all one part, where would the body be, right? This is getting against that myth that where the best thing to be is a specific part of the body of Christ. So the best thing, the highest level you can get to is be a pastor, right? No, that's bogus. Think about your own body. So let's say the pastor is the hand, right? I'm not sure if that would be the best analogy. Maybe the mouth, I never shut up. But regardless, right, let's, we'll go with the hand. How ridiculous would it be if the body was just a bunch of hands? No arms, no legs, no eyes, no ears. It doesn't matter how good of a hand you were. It wasn't good of how much of an artistic expression you can make. If you can't see, it's not very useful. In fact, it'd be kind of freaky, right? It's like a Doctor Strange. I actually think there's like a scene in Doctor Strange where it's just hands on top of hands. And you're like, that's not right. That's not useful. That's not good. Paul says, guys, it's good that we have a bunch of parts because God needs a bunch of parts to do what his mission, what his plan is for this world. But then he goes on and he says, and as it is, there are many parts but one body and the eye can't say to the hand, you know, I don't really need you. And my head can't say to my feet, ah, not that useful. Right? Again, this isn't just ridiculous. This would be tragic. Do you know what we call when you lose or sever a piece of your body off you? That's called being maimed. It means you're disabled. It means you're not whole. It's like that hand that runs around in the Adams family. Right? Again, creepy. 
but even more than creepy, tragic. When one of us is missing, the body is disabled. The body isn't whole. Paul's trying to drive at something here. So on the contrary, you see, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are actually indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that we are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. Whenever I read this section of scripture, I'm humbled to remember the parts that we give special treatment, a.k.a., oh, you're the pastor. I'm actually not that important. And the parts that we don't think are that important of what God is doing, he goes, no, that is crucial to the mission of God. He goes on and he says, but God has put together the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. And then this is the kicker, so that there should be no division in the body. When I was growing up, I was told that the greatest lie that ever, ever Pulled was teaching us that he didn't exist. And I, I still think that's out there, but in the 21st century, I don't think that's the big lie we believe. The big lie we believe is that we don't belong to one another. We don't believe that in the local congregation, that we actually are one body together, but we also don't believe that between congregations. Martin Luther King Jr. famously said that the most segregated hour of the week is Sunday morning, which is sad. In fact, it's literally maimed bodies of Christ, and we wonder why we're not that effective. Because God doesn't look down and say, oh, there are my Baptist kids, and there are my Hispanic children, and there are my Lutheran children. That's not how God sees his family. That isn't how he sees the big body of Christ that he has given to the earth, that we're a part of. But the tragedy is that we think, no, these divisions, because they worship a little bit differently than they do, or they express their faith differently than we do, or they come from a different background or have a different language than we do, that they're any less part of the family that God is trying to get to work together. Part of the reason why the church is so ineffective today is because we bought into that lie. That, oh, those Christians, they're not really a part of what we're doing. They're not really a part of what God... That is not how God sees his family. You as parents, that is not how you see your children. There was one team for one purpose, his glory and his love for this world. but that its part should have equal concern for one another. You see, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. He's talking about, so what does it look like not to have division? Well, when one of us is hurting, we all rally around him, right? If my hand has a splinter in it, the rest of my body isn't like, well, sucks to be you. Deal with that, right? No, if my hand is hurting, the rest of my body rallies to its defense. What do we have to do to fix this? In the same way, if you go to get a massage and your back's getting worked on, your whole body's like, this is awesome. There is no division in that. And imagine what that would look like in community. 
You see, it's not just the church that's divided right now, right? Everything's divided right now. We're divided by nations, we're divided by politics, we're divided by whatever it is, and we let those separations define us. What would it look like if the church was known as the most unified organization? Not even that we always agree on everything, but that even in disagreement we're on the same team and that we rallied to help one another. And so if one part was hurting, the entire church rallied to it and said, we want to be here for you. And if one part had a success, the entire church said, that is awesome. That's what God is trying to get at in the body of Christ. That's his plan. That's his counter-cultural, counter-narrative that so often we buy into the lie that, no, 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 but, but not them. Jesus never says, but not them. That's our thinking, not his thinking. First Corinthians goes on. He says, now you are a part of the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So I say this a lot as far as if you only take one thing away, right? And I've got one today, but this one's really important. And so I was trying to think through, how am I going to emphasize this? How am I going to drive this home? And I decided, you know what, I'm going to look at the poets. Because the poets, they've got some good things. So from the folk poet George Strait, I just need you to hear this, all right? This is the setup. So write this down, take a little note to remind you in case you didn't know. Take my words, read them every day, keep them close by, don't you let them fade away. So you remember if I forget to say, so write this down, I'll sign it at the bottom of the page, I'll swear it under oath, because every single word is true, and I think you need to know. Use it as a bookmark, stick it on your refrigerator door, hang it in a picture frame above your mantel where you'll see it for sure. You can find a chisel, I can find a stone. Folks will be reading these words long after we're gone. Write this down. Each of you are critical to what God wants to do at this church. I don't care if you're 10 years old. I don't care if you're 85 years old. You are critical to what God wants to do through this church. There is not a hierarchy of one of us is more important. There is not a hierarchy of, well, I'm not good at, that's not how God looks at you. You are uniquely designed by him to reflect him. He says the imago deo, the image, the reflection of God. And each of you are needed and critical to what God is doing here. And if you're not here, I'm not saying God's not going to move, but we're going to be like a body that's maimed. We're going to be missing a part of what God wants to do through this church. And I am so excited about what God wants to do this church. Not because I've got great vision, not because I'm particularly good at my job, but because I get to spend life with you. And I get to see how God has uniquely equipped you and where he's sending you. And that gets me excited. My role as pastor is to be your biggest champion and advocate. 
to prune where things that need to get pruned, but to point you back to Christ and who God is and what God is doing. And so truly, if you hear nothing else today, you are critical to where God wants to take us in 2020. And I'm excited about that because I get to know you guys. You guys have a heart. You guys have a passion. One of the coolest things about this church is you don't stick around very long if you're not on board with, we're going to get out and work, right? There are plenty of churches, good churches, other bodies of Christ in this area where if you just want to show up, get your little Jesus fix and head out, and you'll never be asked to do anything. There are plenty of places for you. God bless you. I want you to connect to Jesus. But if you stick around here at Acts, you are on board with, we're going to get our hands dirty. We're going to get our hands dirty in loving people who don't always look like us or have the same experiences as us, but we are on board together. And that gets me excited as the pastor of this church. Paul talks about that mission in the second book to the Corinthians. He says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. You see, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. It starts with Christ. He reconciles us to him. But then he says, now I'm going to give you that ministry of reconciliation to a broken world. And he has committed us to his message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You see, God made him who had no sin be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. We've talked about that word righteousness the last two weeks. Righteousness does not mean holiness. It does not mean purity. It means right relationship. God wants right relationship between he and his kids. He wants right relationship between you and your classmates. He wants right relationships between you and your coworkers, you and your family members, you and your world. You see, God's plan was that he would equip us to then be sent out and to reconcile a world back to him, that it might be righteous, that it might be in right relationship with him and each other. He goes on and he starts describing the different types of gifts. He says, God placed in the church, first of all, apostles, Second, prophets. Third, teachers and miracles. Then gifts of healing, of helping and guidance, and of different type of tongues. One of the big things that I miss in this, or I think we misinterpret, is we're like, so first of all, so that's the really big gift. And then it's like tiers of gifts, right? And they kind of get less value as it goes down. That is not what Paul is getting at here. Right? He just spent the entire chapter saying, no, the parts that you think are really important aren't. Nor is this an exhaustive list of the gifts that God gives his people. It's not meant to be exhaustive. It's meant to share a common theme. You see, the gifts that he gives us are meant to be shared. They're meant to be external. Our own human nature can take things that we're really good at and turn it into a self-serving issue. But he says, no, in the body of Christ, at its best, a body uses its abilities for other people. And so as you wrestle with, okay, God, as we as a church wrestle with, okay, God, who are we? Both as individuals and as a community, it's realizing how can I use the gifts that you've given me? Hospitality, baking, humor, gentleness. How can I use those to pour into other people? 
to bring out the best in other people, to point them to a savior and a life source that can keep them connected to God. That's what he's driving home. That's what he's trying to get at with these gifts within the church. Then he finishes and he says this. He says, now are all apostles or prophets or teachers? Do we all work miracles or have the gift of healing? Do we all speak in tongues? Do we all interpret? No, we don't. We're unique. And that's a good thing. But he says, now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. 1 Corinthians 12 butts up to 1 Corinthians 13, which is arguably the most well-known secular portion of Scripture, where even the secular world will say, yep, that makes sense. It's all about love. And it starts off and it says, you can be the best pastor. And if you have not love, you are a resounding gong. You can kill it when you give messages, Josh, but if I'm not loving, it's just clanging noise. It says, you could work miracles and signs of wonders. And if you have not love, it's pointless. You can be the wisest person in the world. You can have all the right answers to the questions on the quote-unquote God test. And without love, what's the point? And then it starts to describe what love is. And what's awesome about love is it's not a characteristic. It's a bunch of verbs. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love doesn't envy or boast. Love is not self-seeking or easily angered. Love always protects. Love always trusts. Love always perseveres. Love never fails. Paul says, guys, you want to know how to stay connected within the church? You want to know what the greatest gift of all is? It's not an ability. It's not a thing you're good at. It's a verb. It's a lifestyle that will connect you back to everyone else. And it's in that patience and kindness and gentleness. It's in that protecting and trusting that the body is held together. That's how we do life together and figure out how do we unify these gifts into a common purpose. He says, that isn't an ability. It's a lifestyle and a verb. And that's what God wants to teach you. And I'm glad he wants to teach us that. Because my name doesn't fit into those verses all that well. Because Pastor Josh is not always patient. And I'm not always kind. And I can be rather self-seeking and boastful. And I don't just keep a full record of wrongs. There's an Excel spreadsheet that has dates. And I don't always trust. And I don't always protect. I don't always persevere. And I've had a long list of failures, right? My name doesn't fit in there. But here's the good news for you. Here's the good news for me. Is that Jesus is patient. And he's kind. And he doesn't boast. And he's not self-seeking. And he's not easily angered. And he keeps no record of wrongs. He does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. And he will always protect. He will always trust. He will always persevere. And he doesn't fail. And as he protects us and believes in us, 
As he forgives us, he then puts us back together in his body and says, now let's do it together. Let me teach you. A disciple literally was just someone who followed and learned from. He says, be my disciple and I will teach you these verbs. I will teach you patience and kindness and all these things that will unify the body and that will be the greatest of gifts. That's where we're headed as a church. That's why we equip and we send. Because connected to him who is the head of the church, we have a God who promises that love, promises that forgiveness, and puts us back together. We are going to go into a time of confession, absolution, and communion. And we're actually going to use those words, patience, kindness, to confess, you know what, this week none of us have done what we needed to do. And then is going to come up, we're going to do communion, and we're going to sing, and we're going to worship a God who loves us and puts us back together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you humbled that we're a part of this mission here on earth, Lord, to be your ambassadors, to bring your love and your light in your life. But Lord, also honest that we've, we don't live out those verbs very well. Lord, this week we haven't been patient. We haven't always been kind. We've been boastful. We've been rude. We've been self-seeking. We've kept record of wrongs. And we haven't always trusted or protected. Lord, this weekend, this week, we failed. And yet, Father, Lord, we are bold to come before you because while we don't fit those words perfectly, your son does. And through his love and his forgiveness, you share that forgiveness with us. Lord, you don't keep a record, but instead continue to protect and trust and to persevere in our lives, both as individuals and corporately as a church together. Lord, and so we are bold and thankful and grateful, Lord, that we do receive forgiveness of sins. Lord, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.